Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. I'm Chris Salamone from Four Eyes Furniture, and back with me, Mike Montgomery from Modern Builds. Hey, everybody. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> Technical difficulties out of the way. Yeah, and hopefully. Fingers crossed. Let's. Yeah, we're only 18 seconds into this. But also <laughs> with me, Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. Hey. Hey. Today is Thursday, October 5th, otherwise known as Do Something Nice Day. Oh. Did you guys do anything nice today? Yeah, I mean, y'all let me back on the podcast. That was pretty nice. You're welcome. <laughs> what are you guys working on? Mike, why don't you kick us off since we haven't heard from you in a while? Okay, quick quick update since last week. I put out a little bookcase video. It was less a video on making a bookcase for the sake of it, but more as... Um, like an experimentation with those big dowels. I yeah. found them on Amazon, realized they were a, a really good deal. So what I did was I ordered, it was a five pack. I don't know why they don't have a four pack hmm. um, of these big two inch thick maple dowels for about 30 bucks, something like that. Really? Um, for, for all five? For five of them. They were 36 inches long. And they're maple? They're not yes. birch? Or? Yeah. And they're... They may be birch. I don't know. I have a really hard time distinguishing the two. In the mm-hmm. questions and answers section of the fa- or of the Amazon listing, people ask like, "Hey, what is the wood before I buy it?" And he's like, "These are maple." Like Home Depot carries pine. They don't really they carry oak as well where I'm at, but they don't carry any kind of maple or birch dowels. And then if you go to a, a woodcraft type store, if you get dowels that are you know that substantial, they're usually about forty bucks for one instead oh, wow. of for five. So I was pretty excited when I saw that. So I ordered a pack, got them in, and I was like, okay, now now what can I do with them? And the first thing I thought of was either I've got I've got the idea now that I'm definitely going to be building a sofa at some point with those as the, as the legs. I want to get some three-inch thick ones and mm-hmm. have those be the legs and kind of do a stacked plywood design. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when I saw them, I was like, oh, these would be great for a, you know a simple little bookshelf. And then I kind of... I kind of wanted to take it a little bit further because it is a simple project. It's just taking, you know, a piece of plywood, drilling a hole, and then sticking a dowel through it. Right. So I did this neat little PVC inlay. Um, I built it, and it went in my buddy Caleb's house. I didn't really have a space for it, and he kind of needed one. And I've, I was tossing the ra- around the idea. My initial idea was to use either copper pipe or uh, some thin, like, walled brass pipe. I thought that would look really classy, really clean. But just to kind of fit the aesthetic of his space, there was there's really nothing brass or yeah. copper in his house. So we went with with white PVC, which I'd never seen anybody do. Yeah. Um, and it looked cool. I, I wish the the wood, the plywood, even though it was maple, I think I'd let it. I think I've had it for a while. Maybe I let it get a little bit of sun on it longer than it should. And it kind of yellowed a little bit. Yeah. Um, I wish it was a little bit more of like a white maple with a with a really stark white PVC. But regardless, it came out really cool. And it was kind of one of those like, okay, now that I know that the dowels are easy to work with, that inlay technique is easy, and that I found a Forstner bit set that's actually the right size for those dowels. Because they're an inch and seven eighths actual. Mm-hmm. And finding a Forstner bit set with that in it was kind of tough. I found one in... Uh, at Harbor Freight, but I found the same set on Amazon that I could link to. But that was kind of one of the interesting challenges because I wanted a hole that fit those dowels really snug, but I couldn't, uh, I don't know, I just couldn't find a bit set from Lowe's or Home Depot that would do it. And Have you then, ever tried the adjustable ones? Uh, yes, from Harbor Freight. Don't do it. Yeah. 
Um, I, I should have went to Home Depot and got one of those. Um, but the one I got from Harbor Freight, normally I won't knock brands or companies. I got no problems knocking Harbor Freight because they have a few things that are good, but a lot of their things leave a lot to be desired. And this was one of those products. The bit just, it burnt the wood more than it cut it. So it, I was I was not super happy with it. But yeah, I've seen those that they're, they're basically like two blades. You kind of adjust side to side. Yeah, it's it like an Allen gets, key or something. Yeah, and it just kind of cuts wood, plastic. I think they're even supposed to cut tile and stuff. So picking maybe picking up one of those would be a good idea, like a quality one. You know, you could try, you, you could make a, a template and use your Ryobi palm router. Yeah, I know. I thought about that as well. It's just, what do I, how do I make the initial uh, template? Just go yeah. buy a CNC machine. Oh, yeah, that's easy enough. (laughs) There you go. You're done. I mean, in reality, I guess you could honestly probably jigsaw it out. And I I have a little spindle sander that could probably get it to a a pretty tight circle. Maybe not a perfect circle, but close enough for the for the application. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then aside from that, I'm, I'm trying to something you talked about earlier, Ben, was now that you're bringing on team members is like having to schedule to make sure everyone's being productive. Mm hmm. And that's something I'm realizing is like, okay, now that, you know, I've got Caleb here, the days that we're working together, I want to make sure that we're being as productive as possible. So we're doing a entryway slash foyer. Is that how you say it? No one says that where I'm from. Foyer. Foyer. We say foyer. Is that what y'all say? Uh, No, (laughs) but it works for me. (laughs) Yeah. Entryway. I like that. I'm going to keep calling it a foyer then. There you go. Because I feel like a lot of people are like, that's not how you say it. Um But uh, it's a simple, quick remodel, and I want to get another one of those videos out before I do another bathroom, which is, I think, what's going to end up happening. And it's going along, it's coming along fun. Um, one thing that I talked to you about, Chris, a while back was the super cheap wall mirrors that Walmart yeah. has. They're, I think they're 48 inches tall. I know they're 48 inches tall, but I think they're 16 inches wide, mm-hmm. and they're $4.95 a piece. Those are a steal. They're a steal because let me tell you, mirrors aren't cheap. Your boy knows. Yeah. <laughs> I've bought and, seven of them. <laughs> exactly. And the the weird thing is they're like hot glued and adhered into this frame in a really weird way. So it's kind of tricky to get them out of the frame that they're in. Uh-huh. But we're going to do a entire wall of mirrors with those, yeah. uh, with those panes as panels. So mm-hmm. it should be a cool little high-end... Uh, accessorizing on a low-end budget. Let me ask you this. Yeah, let's hear it. Are you going to put an amois in that foyer? (laughs) I have no idea what that means. (laughs) A what? An amois? An amois? Oh, an armoire. An an (laughs) armier? Oh, you mean an armoire. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) No, there's not room for it. It's Ah. it's a pretty small entryway. Um, So essentially, it's you open the front door. There's about six feet in front of you then you hit a closet and the entryway itself is only about four or five feet wide so the last thing to round it all out is with these dwell videos we've got coming up one thing they were interested in is they had seen my cabinet remodel and they had seen the bathroom remodel that i had done and they were really excited about that when i talked to the people at dwell so one of the things i want to do is a video and i've never seen anyone do it i'm out here changing the game with this one is (laughs) taking (laughs) is taking your existing front door uh-huh. Taking off basically the the front and back panel of it, but keeping the whole framework of it, so that 
the build out is really simple because all the hard work of like fitting the door into the frame and making right. making sure everything is going in right that's all been done for me so now it's just doing the cosmetic stuff so taking the also 1979 special front door that's like just super traditional it's got a really ugly uh like frosted glass window in the front of it and taking that and turning it into a really clean modern uh kind of uh just i don't i wouldn't even say mid-century it's i i found myself moving away from mid-century more and more over the past few months and i think this is just it's it's a little Uh-oh. more contemporary than what i normally do so you're evolving yeah and i think that's what it is it's just you know i'm getting i've gotten comfortable with mid-century and now it's just kind of dipping my toes into maybe a little bit more crisper designs yeah stop so, living yeah. in the 60s man yeah exactly so uh what do y'all got going on who wants to go next ben yeah, so I my starting to catch up on editing. So yeah. I've been releasing a ton of videos. So I think like four or five videos in the last week. Prolific. Um, so the the solar shed videos doing really well. I think we're closing in on like half a million views. Yeah, that's crazy. Which it looks is great, uh, yeah, which is encouraging because uh, it's it's also the longest video I've ever done at about thirteen minutes. But the the retention is is surprising. Uh, you know, it, it, from what it appears from the the stats, like people are like ninety percent of people are probably watching it all the way through, um, which is which is encouraging. For sure, yeah. And uh, so that's been going good. Um, I posted the uh, the fire pit uh, video, the sort of diamond shaped uh, hexagonal one. Yeah. And was very pleased with how I <laughs> uh, presented a very basic uh, geometry lesson. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it was digestible, yeah. 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 Um, and uh, yeah, because I know the internet isn't so good at the maths. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was fun. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of my, my probably my favorite projects uh, aesthetically that I've done this year. I just think mm-hmm. it's, it looks cool. It can be made incredibly. I mean, if you have a welder and an angle grinder, you can make that thing for like 30 bucks. Yeah, um, I really loved your breakdown of the angles of an octagon. You're like, an octagon <laughs> is seven X degree angles. And if you cut that in half, then I can cut that on my chop saw. It's yeah. like, yeah. Well, it, it, it's funny. It, it was interesting breaking down geometry, not for the sake of geometry, but the, into a, a standard technique yeah. that a tool that a lot of people have can achieve. Yes. Um, so a sort of translating... Uh, a less common geometry into a common tool technique um, and sort of transitioning between graphics to, to live action uh, footage was uh, was fun. Um, so yeah, I've almost caught up on editing, which is great because uh, I can get back to building. <laughs> and I just uh, ordered a slab from woodslabs.com that just arrived. And... Uh, it was the first time I'd ever ordered for them. They're not a sponsor or anything. Uh, but I just wanted to see, since I can be doing some stuff for, for Dwell that involves sort of hardwoods, I wanted to sort of go through the process of where people would source the material. So I wanted to test out uh, the service. And it was yeah. pretty cool. They have all the slabs are are listed in photographs. So you can actually pick out the actual slab you're going to buy. Right. So the picture you see is of the one yes. you buy. Yeah. Oh, That's cool. really cool. And I got like a... Like a, it's a, it's like a one and an eighth inch thick walnut slab. It's pretty smooth, uh, live edge on both sides, and it's about uh, 
10 and a half feet long and about 14 to 16 inches wide and it cost oh, wow. me about 240 250 bucks how do they pack that uh, I, I put it in my Instagram stories and I'll, and I'll put it in the video uh, they bubble wrapped it mm. and then uh, strapped it down to a couple uh, pallets um, but uh, yeah it, it was uh, it came so I have a huge uh, piece of a walnut tree here that I'm <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting right like <laughs> I'm I've been spending so much time just staring at it, trying to figure out where to make that first cut. Because there's something about when you get like a slab that's like really nice just by itself, where you can be very hesitant to make that first cut. Yeah. Or just it's hard to make a decision when the actual raw material itself is valuable and really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think is was one of the reasons why I like like plywood and like really common cheap materials. Because I feel like, yeah, not worried. Right. If you make a rough draft with it, no big deal. Yeah. yeah. The consequence um, for messing up a two by four cut is pretty low. Yes. Yep. So I've been debating. I'm probably going to have to cut it and then re sort of, you know, glue it together to make it a piece that's wide enough for a dining table. And I'm sort of debating right now whether or not to use uh, biscuits to do it or whether to sort of create uh, a technique for sort of reinforcing the, the, the glue joints. Uh, to make sort of a wider slab. Have you have you seen uh, Rockler make something? It's called a beadlock. Have you seen that? Um, no. So essentially, the the best way I can describe it if you if you hybrid the loose tenon idea of a of a domino, but marry mm. that with the the technique of like a dowling jig. So essentially, it's like a big mm. dowling jig that does a row of maybe five, maybe six, uh, uh, like dowels. But they all kind of overlap each other a little bit, so you get this kind of flat domino type of... Functionally, it works the same way as a domino. It's just probably around the same speed a dowling jig works. So that could be hmm. a good option. Yeah, I think it's supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to add a lot of strength, I think. So it'd be like cutting, like I don't know, five or four dowels to make one domino, kind of, right? Yeah, except all of the dowels are slightly overlapping, so it's right. one big all, piece. It's like a... Mm-hmm. Right, right. So right. it's a little bit more substantial. Yeah. So you just drill a bunch of holes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll look at that because then you could use your drill to do it, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think they're about fifty, sixty bucks. So I mean, it's about the same price as a good dowling jig. So yeah, check that out. In my experience doing that stuff, like the w- not using anything to reinforce, it'll be plenty. Of, it'll be plenty strong. Where the dominoes really help is keeping the vertical alignment. I don't yeah, know yeah. how well biscuits when you help with it, that. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah, no, they biscuits just stay, are pretty good for that. It saves you so much from the sanding. Like when I did yeah. that dining room table, it came out. Everything was like pretty much dead even the way it came out. I just I didn't. All I used was the random orbit sander to finish everything the, off. The first technique that came to mind after I sort of decided that using a circular saw on the edge of a board to cut a slot to drop a biscuit in isn't kosher. Um, <laughs> uh, is uh, using a you know, showing it, showing away with a biscuit joiner because that's not a super expensive tool, but it's also like such a specific tool that you don't right. use a lot. Right. I think they're like under a hundred bucks, but then it's like, you know, I, I use mine maybe once a year. Um, but the other way I was thinking was actually getting one of those slot bits uh, and putting that into the router, yeah, and then cutting some grooves just because, like what Chris was saying, that that's been my experience too, where it's it's keeping them in plane. Yep. And keeping them vertically aligned is more important than the necessarily the extra surface area with the glue that you get for strength. Chris, what are you working on? So this past weekend, I built the plywood media console that 
will eventually go on Dwell. So not exactly sure when that'll go up, but it was cool. It was nice to work at slightly a different pace. Um, you know, it was fun because it was more, I felt like I was more just like doing a build and the camera was less intrusive for lack of a better word than it normally is when we're, when we're filming our projects you know, I could just kind of set it up and do something for 20 minutes and then reset it up and do another thing for 20 minutes. Whereas, you know, it wasn't like every cut I'm repositioning. So that was fun. Um, it's pretty much done. I knocked it all out in like pretty much a day and a half. Uh, the only thing I have left to do is just put the legs on it. So I got some legs coming from, I think I, I might mess this up, but I want to say DIY hairpin legs.com. Yep. So I don't know if you guys have checked them out, but they make like really high quality yeah, hairpin legs. Yeah. You can choose to get like two rod or three rod, a bunch of different heights. Um, they will powder coat them for you. And they have probably like, I don't know, 12 different colors or something. So I decided to use this as an opportunity to kind of have a pop of color. So I ordered them in this kind of minty green color. So Ooh. I'll be excited to get those. I have that color. I like oh, it. There you go. That's cool. Copied Ben. Are you doing it? Ma- is the cabinet maple or walnut? Uh, it's, it's Baltic birch. Oh, perfect. so it's light. Yeah. yeah. It's very light. And, and I, what I ended up doing was using half inch because I was going to use that technique where I stacked everything up mm. and it wasn't a huge console to begin with. It's like five feet long, probably, I don't know, like, 18 to 20 inches tall. Um, so I didn't want to use, cause there's certain spots where like, where the, everything meets where there's, I think, th- so there would be three stacked up. So it would get to be a little bit too chunky looking if I'd used three quarters. So with the half inch, I think it looks good. And like, it's still rock solid by the time you have all those layers built up. Yeah. Um, other than that, I put up the video for the Instagram wall. Um, and it's been going pretty good. The the feedback's been very positive. Like, you know. You tugged on my heartstrings. I gotcha. <laughs> Got Mike cool. to sh- shed a couple of tears. No, yeah, I'm really happy with the way that it came out. I mean, you know, it's not trying to hide the fact that there's a obvious sponsor attached to it. But I think it's, you know, not hiding it and doing it in like a a nice way. I I, I'm proud of it from that aspect. Like, I feel like I did a good job with that. You know, all the comments have mostly been the same thing. Like, sell out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. I mean, like, wow, this is the greatest sponsor or this is the greatest advertisement on YouTube I've ever seen. You know, like comments like that. So that's but cool. Why, why do you even feel like that? That even that apprehension? Oh, I, I don't feel an apprehension about it. Um, I, if anything, so what I was saying is I'm proud of pulling it i felt like i pulled it off in a good way i guess so just uh right is it yeah not that i was like worried i mean i was worried from as i was going into it i thought it was like kind of a big idea that i was worried like am i technically going to be able to pull it off you know Mm -hmm. because little spoiler here so my wife really is pregnant but my parents my parents (laughs) already knew so we weren't we were not actually (laughs) revealing it to my parents right there (laughs) that was acting nice but you know, and you know what's the dead giveaway is the fact that there's like five different angles of it. That's the yeah. That's the dead giveaway that it was acting. But yeah, I mean, my mom did a pretty good job with her acting skills. So, kudos, Mrs. Salamoni, on your acting chops. <laughs> the big part is like you just don't want to contribute to like the shit ton of like garbage sponsored content. If it's going to be sponsored, and if it's going to be an obviously sponsored video, make it a good video, and you did. Yeah, you that's know what I mean. That's a challenge into of itself. And yeah. I will say, actually. One of my dream jobs would be to do creative in advertising. Oh, I think it would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I would really enjoy that, man. I love that Mad Men. I want to be the next Don Draper. Yeah. But um, you already got the desk for it. 
I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm, I might be a little sensitive at this moment because I, I've been approving comments. Like, I mean, the awesome thing for the the shed video, it's like by far my most commented uh-huh. thing and most liked. So I think it's like got over a thousand comments or something like that. Um, and it's just like so many people are like, "Is this sponsored?" Like, is like it? they're. <laughs> I think this is sponsored. I'm like, yeah. It says it in the beginning. It says it in the description. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of what I do. All the stuff I do is pretty much sponsored. Every once in a while, I'll just do a video uh, that just timing-wise, I'll just publish it anyways just because I get antsy and want to get it out there, like the, like the fire pit. It's just like, ah, uh, I'll, just, I'll just throw that out there. I want to just, I'm on a streak. There's a weird mentality that people have about it. I was thinking about it today because on one hand, you're just like, yeah, like what's the difference? Why does it matter? I mean, I could see where you people could get upset if you're like trying to disguise the fact it is, but if you're clearly not, I don't see why it matters yeah. or not. But it's funny. It's almost like there's this mentality that like YouTube is this indie band or something, and now yeah, it's, no, it's selling out or it's going it's corporate like or something. Google, like a yeah. massive company that's like selling you ads. So you are participating in commerce by watching YouTube. You're either paying this subscription or you're watching ads on it. You're doing one of the two. There is no sort of way around it. If, if it is that, then go build your own sort of a video hosting site. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it happens a lot when I do a video that sort of goes beyond my normal audience. It's like people come and they're like, oh, you know, I think they're expecting something a little bit more uh, kind of just like one off. Um, but like, I'm always like, no, I I embrace the, the creative opportunity for integrating products. I see zero conflict. Like I'm in the media business. Uh, I want to. And I think, you know, what I really liked about yours, Chris, is it's it's not just figuring out a way to, like, hide the vitamin into the bacon strip to give Mm -hmm. to the dog. Right. Right. It's I I don't I think that that's an inherently uncreative way to look at what we do. I think there's ways to use sponsorship to fund the types of things that otherwise wouldn't exist. So for me, it's like people, they they keep asking, oh, we want to see like a tiny uh a you know a tiny house project or a shipping container conversion uh, project, you will. I'm going to get there, and we're going to get there by sponsorship because I'm not going to do some. You know, I could do like a, a GoFundMe or something like that, but I don't want to. I, I'm going to mm-hmm. do it by giving it to people for free by getting uh, a company that can afford it to to foot the bill. So for me, it's like uh, you know, s- sponsorship isn't just this thing that you do to like grab bags of money and run. It's a way to expand the scope and and uh, scale of projects. Uh, yeah, that was my little rant. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> and in you saying that, I think, so what I would say is what I'm proud of with this video is I feel like I embraced the sponsorship and did it in a natural way where, yes, it was heavily integrated and it's clear that it's there, but it's still in an enjoyable way and nothing was disguised. And um, I kind of saw it as almost like a, opportunity to be a little bit more ambitious on that side of making the video and to use it as kind of a like a a resume builder for lack of a better term because there was a lot more like video production going into what you normally do yeah the project was simple i I knocked that whole project out in you know i don't know two hours or you could do it an hour if you weren't filming it probably right it was this whole thing was it was all I mean, getting it done quick and then, you know, getting my parents to come help out and staging everything and then editing it is the, that was the work in this one. 
So the, how the, was? The, oh, go ahead. Ben. The, uh, the the best part of one of the commenters though that was complaining about like this is like oh you're you're a shill for Home Depot. I'm like no, I, I love working with Home Depot. And before I worked with Home Depot, I always went to Home Depot. Um, now I'm just getting compensated better to do what I already did. Uh, but the best part was he was wearing, <laughs> he was wearing like a prominent in his uh, avatar pick. He was wearing the logo of like you know the clothing manufacturer like prominently on, on his chest. And I was like, "You dumbass! You're, like, you're doing it for free. You're not even getting paid for uh, it. You stupid chill." Like, I got a comment on this one where the guy was basically he saying was fat, that- so he had a lot of real estate. Like that was worth money. <laughs> That's worth some cash, cash cow. No pun intended. Um, no, but there, I got this comment on this one where the guy was basically telling me that I should be ashamed for exploiting my family and my situation for an advertisement. But uh, it was funny. So the comment came from his his name was like 975362 and his avatar was just a black box. Uh-huh. And I was like, hey, I stand behind what I did. Do you? Boom. When you yeah. can't even like say your name or anything on him. this comment. Exactly. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Who's laughing now? Sick, <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> Put that in your table book though, your coffee table book. Oh, it will be. I screen captured it. Don't worry. Anyway, <laughs> so this last thought on this, I'll be interested to see if you guys have any thoughts. So the video, it, it's been very well received by the people who've watched it. And I've gotten kind of like Ben's video. I think this is my most comment, at least comments per view that I've gotten. And a lot of it's just people congratulating me and I'm reading through all of them. I can't reply to all of them, but thank you very much for all the well wishes. I appreciate it. Um, but it actually... It's performing decently, but it didn't perform as well as I thought it would. Um, Could be maybe the thumbnail, like it is, you know, it's something that's kind of small. So I don't know, maybe I can play around with that. But I think that it's because HP specifically did not want me to monetize it. And I always feel like you should monetize your ads because it gives, gives I mean, who knows what's the truth, but exactly. Like, I mean, that's the way this whole thing works. Yeah. So Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. To fill people in, like the, the money people make from ad revenue on YouTube is split 50-50 with, YouTube, or with Google. So yep. yeah, exactly. If Google's not making any money, why are they going to be pushing it? Yeah, they have a lot more incentive to push something that they're going to get yeah. some money on than something that they won't. So yeah, I, I mean, I told them my thoughts on it, but it's their choice. Yeah, looking at the, uh, the thumbnail, it's a cool thumbnail. It might be one of those, uh, you know, when we talked before about the idea of should it be the full thing or should it be a detail shot? Mm-hmm. I think that could be a really good one that a detail shot might work on. Yeah, I'm thinking I might, I mean, it might be, I don't know if it's too late now to make a difference, but I might just go in and I have plenty of images that I can use to just change it out real quick. But I, it was one of the thumbnails that I've struggled with more than others. Yeah. I like it though. It's a good thumbnail. Thought I could capitalize on some of that bad Larry magic, but I guess not. <laughs> cool all right should we uh move on that was i think the longest we've ever talked about what we're working on that was a good intro yeah i could go in deeper about sponsors i'm in talks with a sponsor and it's going to be it's going to be integrated kind of the same way yours was chris mm-hmm. um i guess it's it's already happened or i've already signed the contract so it's going to happen but it's was it's with 3m they have a uh a, a super strong like industrial strength tape that they're wanting me to integrate with uh, with some stuff. Oh. I think it's called VH, not VHS. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely VHS not called that. Tape. Have you heard of that? <laughs> I prefer Betamax. Yeah, um, but it's it's 3M, like VCF tape or something like that. Um, VHB tape, there we go. I had to Google for it. I was just stalling with all that. 
Um, it's called VHB tape, but it's a super strong double-sided tape that's supposed to be stronger than, like, if you're if you're taping pieces of sheet metal together, for instance, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be stronger uh, than like rivets would be. So well, that's going to be one of those interesting, like, let's work it in, but hammock. I've thought that too. You know what I really thought would be cool? Sheet metal hammock. Um, because. <laughs> Because one of the things about doing a DIY sofa is it's always, from what I've seen and what I've done, it's a, it's a platform style sofa, where it's just, mm-hmm. you know, build a platform and put your cushions on it. But I thought it could be really cool if they're comfortable with it. Like, let's really put it to the test and use that as the webbing. Yeah, like a strapping. Yeah, if it's as strong as you say it is, let's use it as as the webbing instead of like nylon cord with mechanical fasteners. Well, you could also do a hybrid of like the way Chris did with the leather. Where you use like strips of, of of webbing in between to reinforce it, and then that's just like the fastening system, like sort of coating around it. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm slightly familiar with that stuff. I think it would definitely be strong enough. Do do like a cool demo on Instagram too, where you make like a slack line with it or walk on it or something like that too. That's what I thought about. I thought about doing like, <laughs> and obviously it's probably a terrible idea, but doing the same thing. <laughs> I have a trampoline frame from when I was a kid Ooh. when the mat broke, but stripping that back and forth and then like jumping off a roof onto it or something, I thought would be dope. <laughs> <All> right, no, <laughs> You'll just stick to it. <laughs> no, it's, it's double-sided, but you can leave the <laughs> adhesive on it. Uh, okay. Or the, there you go. the stuff on it. But anyways, if anybody uh, listening, I would love to hear like some ideas you guys have. If you guys want to contribute to my... Uh, my sponsor integration. Help Mike sell out. Yeah, yeah. 3M is not paying me to bring it up in the podcast, FYI. But check out that tape. And if anybody has any cool ideas with it, I'd love to uh, just hit me up on Instagram. I'd love to hear what you think about it. So anyways, show topic. Interesting fun fact. My uh, my dad works for 3M. So now you guys are coworkers. Oh, wow. That's how I got the gig. I got a guy on the inside, <laughs> yeah. apparently. My, my dad put <laughs> in a good word for you, Mike. But he, 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 He's like, eh, Chris is okay, but you really want Mike. Yeah, he put in... He put in an okay word for you, but he put in a really good word for me. Uh, That's how you're yeah. getting that tape money. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's let's hop into a topic. So we're doing questions tonight, I believe. All right. So the first one is from someone on Instagram that goes by Hans Fredel. Can each of you talk about how you think, if it's possible, the design of a piece can influence the end user? Is this something that you think about when designing a new piece of furniture or are coming up with a new project? So Hmm. I guess this is what he's saying. Put differently, he says, do you think about evoking certain feelings or responses from the end user based on the physical design of a piece? Well, I think that the first thought that I have is that all three of us, the definition of end users kind of different in that if you think of the end user as somebody watching the video. So obviously there's something that you're trying to evoke out of them if that's the case. So I don't know if we want to talk about it that way or think about it more of just like a single person using a piece of furniture or whatever. Well, I think it depends because sometimes when you're building, a, at least from my perspective, sometimes I'm building a project for the video. Um, and then mm-hmm. other times it's like, oh, I, I need a desk. How, can, right. how would I design a desk? Now I'm going to film it and put it on YouTube. So I guess like diving into that, I don't know if it's so much... I think the design can affect the way it's used and like the tendency in which it's uh, a piece is used rather than maybe the the feeling it evokes or something like that. So with the desk, I knew I wanted storage, but I knew I didn't want too much storage because if I had an abundance of space, that means I could put an abundance of crap in it. Mm-hmm. So 
I made sure that I wanted I wanted storage, so I I was like, okay, I'm gonna do drawers. That way, it's all hidden. It looks clean, you know, aesthetically. But I made sure the drawers were super shallow, and that um, they're deeper than I probably should have made them. But they weren't like huge drawers. That way, I it could fit notebooks and pens and like a few small things like a calculator and some stuff like that. But aside from that, there's like the drawers aren't big enough to hold very much because right. I knew if they could. I would fill them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can think of an example that, that sort of relates to the question. Uh, I was meeting with uh, with Jamie, uh, who's working on a on a desk, and the the project was a little bit of a tweener. Um, mm-hmm. It had some cool kind of functional storage ideas, kind of secret compartment stuff, and then it had sort of an interesting way of of, of making it that gave it an aesthetic, but one set of ideas was compromising the other. So because she was trying to work in these kind of like secret compartments, it was undermining the kind of cool aesthetic thing she was trying to do with the way it was made. So to me, you know, when I think about feelings, uh, it's, I, if someone was to look at the piece, I'd want them to think that's, that's incredible, uh, like visually spectacular, or have them see it uh, and think like, oh, that kind of looks like a nice desk. And then they're surprised and delighted by the little compartmental things. Um, but so I would think that uh, what I don't want is just to have two kind of meh feelings, <laughs> right? Because yeah. two competing ideas are diluting the sort of the the, 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 the feeling that the, the viewer or the end user is going to get. Um, so in that case, it's it wasn't so much like, uh, it was more of a decision making to move more in one way or the other to try to distill and concentrate a a strong sense of identity for the finished piece. Um, so that'd be one example. Um, the other thing, though, for me personally, I tend to work, I think, a little bit more in reverse, where I will think of a person, or or you know, often myself or you know, a friend, and I'll watch them do something that maybe is a little bit unusual the way they perform like a, a common task, like maybe the way they sit on a sofa or maybe uh, the way they sort of store things in their house. And I might reverse engineer a piece of furniture from a sort of behavioral trait, um, which is which is a little bit different than the feeling. So I would say those are the two things. Sometimes I like, uh, in terms of the feeling part, it's like I, I want people to have an idea and, and a way of almost drawing a cartoon in their head and describing it, uh, the project. Because that that sort of uh, being able to sort of get the gestalt of the of the project or that sort of quick conceptual sketch um, mm-hmm. for either how it's made or what it looks like or or its function, um, rather than have it you know eighteen different descriptions for you know how it's all you know d- describing it through like a paragraph. I want I want to, it to have like a singular sort of uh, takeaway feeling. Hmm. Yeah, I think for me, so two different kinds. So. The things that I would say are more like evocative and that I want you to just look at and be like, oh, wow, what's going on here? I want to click on that. Or, you know, if it was just a single person, I'm interested by that and I would like to have it. So, you know, to kind of stand out in a crowd would be like, you know, the one legged uh, drawer or the, the Xbox stand or the bad Larry, things that are just kind of in a way you could almost say that they're stupid. Like they kind of straddle the line between stupid and cool where you could say like, oh, that's useless. There's something that's useless about it. And it's like, yeah, well, because I am trying to be kind of evocative with these things and do something that 
you haven't seen and that is going to elicit that gut reaction, you know, whether you hate it or you love it, it's you're, you're probably going to have some sort of feeling about it. Then with things like the simpler wall organizer or actually for like the Instagram wall, thinking about the end user, I think. I, I, I think about it in terms of like convenience and getting somebody to do something. So let's just talk about the Instagram wall. You know, if you think about the way that people hang pictures in their house, like just think of your parents' house, there's probably a bunch of pictures of you from like age zero to seven and then continually less and less. Like, you know, we don't really update the pictures that we <laughs> hang in our houses usually. And for people like me, like, you know, I didn't ever print up pictures. All the pictures were just on the phone and on Instagram and that was pretty much the extent of it. So I wanted to make, you know, if, if the whole thing with the printer was that now we have this super easy way to print the photos, why not have a super easy way to display the photos and something that'll encourage us to change them around a lot. And, you know, I think you do that through convenience. So that was kind of the, the way that a project like that would change hopefully change the end user in terms of just like making them more willing and wanting to print up pictures and display them more frequently yeah it almost seems like the idea of making something where the focus is the the aesthetic like when you look at it you're immediately the like shock factor there and functionality almost have they're kind of like on an inverse scale a little bit yeah i think that's fair yeah like you get to the base of the project and then you decide, mm -hmm. I either want it to be really functional or I want it to be, look really cool, like on face value. The, the further you lean one way or the other, it, it tends to detract from the other. And I remember mm -hmm. a while back, one of my dad's friends from way back had uh, some bowling, like leftover bowling alley remnants from the bowling alley lane. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make a coffee table from that really bad. And I did. And I think it came out cool. But... I remember thinking like, okay, this is not one of those like super functional coffee tables. It's just like, it's a tabletop with legs. Mm -hmm. Whenever I was drawing it, I, I had a bunch of iterations where I was drawing it with drawers underneath or like some kind of shelf system or like a, or an intricate base. But then I realized, I think it's going to look best if I just trim it in walnut so that none of the gross part of it is showing. Mm -hmm. And then just, I put just square metal frame legs on it instead of some kind of intricate base. Cause I realized like the shock value or not shock value even, but more the, the like, you know, the highlighted feature, yeah the highlighted it. feature. Exactly. Like the bowling alley part of it is, is what I'm trying to get people to be like, Oh, that's cool. So as right. soon as I start trying to add functionality and stuff like that, it, it, it just kept detracting from that immediate, like one take response. Right. Yeah. You're just making it like compete with itself almost a little bit. Yeah. Y'all have any projects like that? I think the 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 fire pit in some ways was like that. Like I had I had like a it was a project that I think came from a very sort of uh, I had kind of like a cinematic vision for the <laughs> I, for the design for it. I sort of had that I, idea the whole time of like how would you make a fire f kind of hovering above the water? Did you really? I was going to ask you that earlier. Like, did you have that idea the whole time? Yeah, wow. just combining um, elements, baby. Right, because I, I was looking at like a, I was looking at fire pits because I've done a few before, and one of the criticisms that was just totally fair that I've gotten is that I don't always put like enough ventilation in them, <laughs> which is fine because I'm not trying to build you know the world's biggest fire. Um, so I started thinking about that, and I was like, well, you know, one of the reasons why I didn't put ventilation in the concrete ones is I didn't like the way it looked. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I was like, okay, so I want this to be nice. This isn't a fire for every day for heating. So the the it is 
inherently a outdoor fire pit is an aesthetic thing right unless you're you know your your everyday lunch is by roasting a giant animal over a spit over it <laughs> which is highly unlikely um uh then it, the whole thing is an aesthetic you know kind of enjoyable fun activity so prioritizing the way it looks and its scenicness isn't exactly compromising the functionality it's actually enhancing it yeah um but it did t- I, tried, I did to think like well how could i make ventilation look cool and i kept thinking well maybe it's almost it i'm like aesthetically it'd be interesting to see into to elevate the fire and then see in through the sides to lift the whole thing up and then I was thinking, well, you know, it would be even cooler would be if it was like over water. Um, so you get like reflections and things like that. So I kept having this like, uh, I kept sort of imagining it. And then the, so it was very much a design that sort of came from like sort of like a, like almost like a movie scene in my head of like, I, you know, I wanted it to be kind of like grayish morning light kind of a thing, not real bright. So the, you know, the sort of steel would, would sort of silhouette against a softer sort of sky and, and background. Um, so that one, it w- wasn't like a feeling, but it was more like a really strong sort of singular end vision. Good stuff. So should we do one more? I'm sure. down. I got time. I got nowhere to be. Mike's got time and he's got working internet. So hallelujah. <laughs> Let's take advantage wow. of it. All right. This is from only.dida, D-I-D-A. Um, Hey guys, longtime listener and follower, first time caller. He means DMer, <laughs> more accurately. Yeah. I was wondering what all three of your thoughts are on prefabricated houses. I'm particularly interested to hear what Ben has to say on the matter, as well as Mark, uh, lol, uh, as he's <laughs> branching out to house renovation projects. Love the show. I'm not a woodworker myself, but I find your thoughts on content creation, ideas, planning, organizing goes beyond woodworking. Thanks, guys. I said great question because he complimented us. Right. Um, <laughs> so prefabricated housing. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, I'll go first since this is in my wheelhouse. Um, I'd say like once every two to three weeks, somebody sends me a link to some, you know, it's most often a rendering or just a prototype. And it's some video on Facebook. People say, this guy 3D printed the house or this house unfolds in minutes. It yeah. could be disaster relief and all these things. Mm-hmm. That That kind of media is... And I, I love architecture and design, so I'm always down for watching it, so still feel free to send it. But whether it's the 3D printed house thing that went viral, they're 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 very much like flying cars and jetpacks. Uh, they're very easy to build a prototype. They're very hard to make an economically viable model for mass dissemination. Um, prefabricated housing uh, makes up a very small, I mean, Technically, every home built in America is prefabricated. Unless you go into the woods with an axe, you're composing your house of a series of products that are prefabricated. So the first thing is every single house, every single building built in the U.S., unless you make a, a, an entire hand-hewn log cabin with an axe where you make all your pipes and stuff out of <laughs> you know, whatever you find in the forest, you are consuming products that are then being packaged into a design which is prefabricated. What they typically mean is like panelized or whole sort of like modular pieces pre-built. Mm-hmm. And that works when there's a certain economy of scales. It works well for like mobile homes uh, and FEMA trailers. It has consistently since World War II defied really innovative design. And people say, oh, but I saw this thing in you know this magazine and this and this. 
there's a reason why those companies typically go out of business or they don't when you actually look at how many they've installed uh, they produce very few so if you want to argue with me look at the actual numbers first all, all that's done that being said the reason why people were interested in it is because they thought that you know because things can be made in a factory they'd be more efficient the problem was and why it works at the low end of the market which is the sort of mobile home market is because there isn't a lot of consumer choice those people are just buying whatever they take so when you remove consumer choice that kind of efficiency matters but anyone that's trying to buy like a really nice high-end modern home they're going to want some say right in it. if i'm spending a million dollars i don't want the same house as my neighbor or something like that yeah. right and then the customization often undermines the uh the whatever sort of efficiencies from the the, the manufacturing um so in what was what was uh, interesting about the the shed that we did is so one of the one of the the very fair comments that people are saying is why didn't you just build it yourself um one is like uh <laughs> it would take a long time and also it's like the if i was to order all those materials for that shed i would have to order probably about like 10 to 15 percent more of everything otherwise you have to if you're if you try to nail it too on the nose you'd be going back and forth so I think in, in my rough calculations, it would have uh, the, sh the shed that I that I use from Tough Shed. It costs about uh, four thousand four hundred dollars. I think if I were to buy all the materials that I would need to complete it, which is about ten to twenty percent more than what it actually takes, um, you know, it's a lot of sort of you know getting over more than enough paint and a little more flashing and all those kind of things more you know roof felt and stuff like that especially for a building that size i probably would have spent right around i think like about 2800 um so it still would have saved saved uh, uh money on the budget but when you factor that in plus time then it doesn't make sense because tough shed is they're just building walls all day long so every scrap of two by four gets used for the next one because mm -hmm. they're building the wall panels right next yeah. to it right. um so those are my sort of thoughts uh, on, on prefabrication to sort of recap. One, all your buildings are already prefabricated. And that's the other reason from a business standpoint why a massive prefabrication company hasn't really come along and done housing like the same way we do cars. One, houses aren't as mobile as cars are. And also two, uh, car companies are more vertically integrated, meaning they're making a lot of their own parts. They're still outsourcing some things like the electronics and stuff like that. But in order to be a, a, a housing company that was completely ver vertically integrated, you'd have to, you know, be spending as much money as uh, as a car company for a market that's much more volatile. So that's why it doesn't happen because it's stupid. I never really put the the dots together, but every housing or kind of living space project that I have in mind starts with a prefabbed shell. I, I'm really excited about the bus idea. Um, and then once I get that done and get, you know, a little bit of home building experience under my belt is I want to, I want to do a shipping container home kind of after that at yeah, some point. Me too. And I think it's interesting that like both of those is you're just kind of, you're taking the shell that you're given and then customizing it to fit your, your, you know, your needs as best you can. Like right now I have no interest in just building a home from scratch. Like just getting a ton of materials and pouring a concrete slab and, and building from there. 
Well, I think I think tra- like translating the idea of this question to more directly to what we do, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, do you you bought dowels? You bought a free, prefabricated part. You didn't go and cut down the maple tree, kill and dry it, cut it by some kind of machine lathe that'll make it a, a perfect cylinder. Right. So in this case, you saw an opportunity in a ready-made or prefabricated component. And then you saw that it was at a good price. So then you then got design inspiration for how to utilize this good financial opportunity. That's like a that's a, vi- a very prefabricated design idea, right? You're, you're responding to a ready-made and building a design around that sort of opportunistic thing. Um, I think me and you tend to deal more with ready-mades, whereas Chris is 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 he isn't quite the level of scratch where he's cutting down the tree, Matt Cremona style. Shout out to Matt. Matt's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's not quite doing it that sort of, you know, farm to table um, or tree to table. Um, <laughs> Literally. But he's he's probably more consistently, uh, you know, a, a level closer to, a, to, to that idea. Yeah, it's like weighing the, the starting point almost. Yeah. As it pertains, so I don't really know anything in, about prefab houses and as evidenced by the fact that he did not ask my opinion on this, just... Just Mark, LOL, and, and Ben. But I, it actually, I kind of have some questions on it from hearing Ben talk. So do you think that the viability of it, would it be viable if everybody bought into it? Like if everybody just tomorrow wanted prefab houses and liked it, would it be better economically than the way we're building things now? Or So I guess what I'm saying is, is it really the... Um, basically the the opinion of people that keeps it from being economically viable or is it not really as economically viable if you just look at the x's and o's of it as things are made to seem there's there's just not enough people and not enough houses get built to really create that volume so it's um, just not the scale and there's too much regional differences mm-hmm. right so it's like let's say you you can't create a universal design that's efficient everywhere, but meets the different climate and disaster things, right? So one of the comments about uh, the shed was like, why didn't you insulate it? Great question. It's in Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara doesn't need insulation, right? right? Yeah. So money spent on insulation there would be a waste, but it would also eat up space uh, space that could be used for shelving because that particular client climate doesn't require it. So if you design the universal insulated shed that's insulated enough to withstand Boston, uh, it's going to have redundancies and extra cost and not be a cost competitive product in Santa Barbara. Right. Right. So that that's that's the challenge for for the sort of universalness of something. Um, so even if you did have national demand that was consistent and the taste was all the same, meaning that people on the East Coast didn't want shiplap while people on the on, on the West Coast wanted something more moderate, even if you were to uniformly sell everyone on a single design with very little variability the climate the earthquakes versus tornadoes versus hurricanes those would all require different technical specificities where if you built it for everything it'd be it would destroy its cost competitiveness for the areas where it doesn't need all of those redundancies right then i also wonder is do we see so much because it's like the idea of it is sexy that there is this just like one size fits all thing that's going to save so much money and rid the world of these problems when in actuality the things that are 
like really making the difference. So take something like, um, you know, I don't know what they're called, but you know, they're like these like styrofoam blocks that have, and then you basically just like stack them up and pour concrete in them. And that's how you form the walls. So people are suckers uh, for, and it's, it's normally people that are on the fringe of technology, but not actually spent a lot of time in it. And they want to be saved by something. They want this this one thing, this superfood that's going to fix all their health things. They want the. Uh, a lot of people keep saying, "Oh, you should use the Tesla solar panels," as if like the Tesla solar panels are like these really amazing solar panels. No, Tesla just bought another company that already made those panels. Those panels have been around. There's nothing special about them, and in many cases, they're less efficient than typical sort of larger modular. Uh, panels because they're trying so hard to be aesthetically integrated that mm. they're building up too much heat because by being uh, by lying flat onto the roof and whenever solar panels build up heat they also lose efficiency so people like the idea that this one thing right it's so clickbaity uh the clickbaity tendencies uh, are there because they work mm. um and so people want to think oh this new building technology is going to revolutionize everything there are huge improvements made in building technology every single year, and they're amazing. But it's not; it's rarely like this one new system that that gets rid of everything else. I've built houses or designed houses with structural insulated panels, SIPs. We've done things with uh, insulated concrete formwork, which is the big styrofoam Lego box where you pour concrete in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've experimented with like uh, rammed earth and uh, all sorts of different sort of advanced prefabricated systems. They're all really cool and all really clever, but they're also all have certain liabilities and none of them is this thing that's so head and shoulders above everything else. Right. I feel like we should give Ben a break. He's been, <laughs> we've been putting him to task too much here. I had a lot of coffee today. I'm, I'm amped up. <laughs> He's good to go. It was kind of in his wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay. Well, get this. If we're talking about uh, alternative electro- er, uh, electricity, tell me if this is a viable idea strapping a windmill on top of the bus so that way when i'm driving it but it's not a windmill in the way you're thinking windmill it's a it's like a horizontal turbine i just see you going under the first overpass and the whole thing just like is is the trade-off from like efficiency and mileage you'd be you'd basically be you you'd basically be using the buses generator because you'd be spending more money on gas. That's right. I was about that's all kind the of drag you'd be That's what I was asking. Is, to create the is energy. Where's the, yeah. where's the line of trade off where it's not worth it? But I'll I'll end this topic with with a story that uh, uh, that I may have told in part before. Um, but when the first solar powered building that I ever worked on as a design was when I was a student at Cornell, and we were competing in the 2005 Solar Decathlon, where we had to design and build a 700-square-foot, completely off-the-grid, solar-powered house that actually also powered an electric car. And this was back in 2005, so yeah. it, was, it was much harder to do than it is now. And our first idea was to say, screw solar panels. We're so much smarter than that. We got all these, you know, I put together this massive team along with uh, Stephanie Horowitz, who's now my uh, partner in our architecture firm. We put together this massive team of students from every diff- different discipline on campus. And uh, yeah, so we we're like, we, we don't need to do photovoltaic panels. We're going to make our own system, like arrogant little right. pricks that knew nothing. Um, and so we said we decided to use, uh, we want to use a Stirling engine, and uh, which is like an engine that has a, a closed uh, a sort of cylinder that's full of gas. And when you cycle heat across oh. it, the gas expands and powers the piston. It's a pretty cool technology, and what we our logic was very sound. 
we knew that uh, converting sunlight to electricity, you're only actually converting about 12 to 18% of the actual sun's energy into usable electricity, right? And But we knew with like converting uh, light to heat is a much more efficient conversion. So we knew it was much more in like the 80s or 90%. So we knew we could do really efficient uh, with, the, with these things called evacuated solar uh, collectors. We could do really efficient light to heat collection and then we could run we could cycle that heat across the sterling engine to then produce electricity and we sort of modeled it out and our efficiencies were for the whole system were much more in like sort of like the the, the low 20 percent uh which was we're like oh, we're so smart we just already figured this out now all i have to do is build it yeah but then we were looking at all the variables that we we're assuming and the the working fluid i think would be like roughly the the temperature of like hot lava. <laughs> so yeah, it's a more efficient, it, theoretically a more efficient system, but that small increase of efficiency is in no way worth the huge liability of having really hot working fluid all inside a house that's made by students where if you lose containment, everything goes up in flames. Yeah. Um, so it's like people <laughs> will try really hard for these theoretical things and build something around a con- uh, on a single concept that they can understand in a in a one minute YouTube video, mm-hmm. um, but then they'll try to extrapolate that as if it's going to save the whole freaking world, and it often doesn't. We got a hypothetical. Yeah, but we- it's about poop, and I feel like I can't follow up that <laughs> highbrow commentary with that. So, <laughs> like Chris has been quiet for five minutes to to come back and hey, talk I got a about poop, poop joke, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like enough it. with that photovoltaic talk let me tell you about bowel movements no um actually i don't have one and we're already running long so why don't we just hop into what we're obsessed on and then we'll wrap it up okay well what are you obsessed with chris poop always (laughs) but in addition to that the snes classic baby i waited out line with you got it oh yeah got two of them my dad came in line with me uh don't tell 3M. But yeah, he was there Friday morning with me and he, we got one. So that was something nice I did today. I got one extra for one of my friends that couldn't be in line. Is it like a re-release of the yeah, Super Nintendo? It, exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. So cool. it's like a little miniature one that's got the 30 games built on it. So I've already done some, got some good game time in this weekend. I was playing Street Fighter 2 with my kid over the weekend. Ooh, playing against my wife classic. also. Messed him up. <laughs> just got Ken on the scene. Just oh, What's your go-to character? Uh, Ken and Ryu. Yeah. Uh-huh. Although when I first started playing, guy. I was a guy. Who's, Who's fire guy? Dalson? Yeah. The stretchy guy? No. Yeah, that would make sense for you. Which one? He blows fires. Yoga Flame? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> yeah, not, not Yoga Flame. I'm talking about the guy. Who like, we talking his, about? Like, his, his world is like the fire. He's like in, he's like in the... Maybe you're, you're thinking of a different game. Maybe. You know, I... I, I you're probably thinking of like the the one that's actually from your that's era. That's what I was just this about was to before say. You were I, born. My oh, Street, Street Fighter, Fighter Nine. My Street Fighter is Street Fighter Four. Yeah. Oh, when I talk on. about yeah. Street Fighter, it's four, not one. Two, baby. Oh, okay. Street so, Fighter Two is the one. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, still haven't still haven't busted out like the Metro Super Metroids or Zelda Link to the Past, but all that stuff will be in due time. Nice. Cool. What are you guys obsessed on? I got one. Um, so it's an Instagram account called i am ron r-o-n nicole and she like fossilizes uh like different flowers and leaves and plants into like either plaster or concrete or something Mm -hmm. but she creates these really interesting kind of like yeah they look like fossils of plants but she's she's creating them she kind of shows how she does it um 
and aesthetically they're just they're fantastic like it was you know they they, they the textures she gets um are, are pretty incredible and i'm a big sucker for something that has cool texture and is very monochromatic so it's i am ron nicole on instagram and check her out cool Sweet. Uh, I'm going to shout out uh, Weekend Show alumni, Laura Kampf. Uh, she's doing a tiny house trailer build. Yes. And I'm hooked on oh, it cool. so far. I mean, it's it's just getting started. She's, she's in awesome. the, like, tearing everything apart phase. But I'm really excited to see where it goes just because, I don't know, her aesthetic, she seems like one of those people that make really good use of every available space. Yep. Um, so I'm excited to see what she does with it. And then my second recommendation, uh, you guys know the rapper uh, Riff Raff? You guys know Riff Raff? I don't. I've heard okay, of him, yeah. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> he did a video with Barstool Sports. Um, just Google Chuck Borden Sports at 7. And uh, okay. I'm just, I don't know why it just hits me in the funny bone the way it does, but it's it's the best video I've seen in, in, in a minute. And it's not even that good, probably. But Chuck Borden Sports <laughs> at 7. Barefoot Borden. Here we go. I'll check it out. All right. <laughs> cool. Close us out, Mike. All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I'm excited to be back. Uh, I'm glad I didn't get Good kicked off you. permanently. If you're following us, following us on Instagram, don't unfollow us. But if you're not, make sure and do that. If you've got any cool topic suggestions, any just questions you think would contribute to the show, you can hit us up on DMs there or individually um, at Benjamin Ueda, at Four Eyes Furniture, or at Modern Builds, uh, respectively. If you haven't given us a review, we'd appreciate it, but we're going to quit asking so much because I think we've gotten what we're going to get out of it. So have a great week, and we'll see you next Thursday on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.